0: I knew. i be running. i be.
1: Welcome to the weekly review this is roman it's friday october 27th 2017 there's a new setup here in the studio it's more comfortable so I'm very grateful for that opened up the show with some music first song was by linton quasi johnson with all we Doin' is Defendin'." and that's a message to all the folks out there who still don't understand that self-defense is self-defense and it's necessary and that was followed up by kiki and herb with their cover of running up that hill brilliant song Um, and a brilliant cover uh, originally done by Kate Bush who is currently in the running to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame along with many other great artists. So really appreciate folks sharing that. Um, Both of those songs I heard were suggestions from folks. So I really appreciate that. That's one nice thing we can do for each other in the meantime as the impending creep of fascism is getting larger and looming larger and we'll be talking about that on the show today. There's from every... (sighs) Seems like from every arena there seems to be a push towards authoritarianism even more than there already has been and what can we do to resist it if you have ideas i would love to hear from you Um, this show is better when there's more people involved so please do call in our phone number is 415-550-0511 even if you're shy uh, we'd appreciate hearing your voice and your thoughts because we have to do this together So yes, as I mentioned, we'll be getting to some stories, also some positive ones, because there are a lot of people out there doing a lot of great work and we can't depend on politicians to do it for us. I think that's really, I'm going to be upfront. I think it's dumb and it hasn't worked. I mean, if politicians were here to save us, we wouldn't be in this mess in the first place. If they always had our backs, we wouldn't be, you know, scrambling to survive. And there is a lot of hubbub because this one, I hate that I even have to like talk about That these people are just, they take up our time and our energy. And it feels really frustrating when folks reward people from doing like the basic bare minimum. I feel like the bar for humanity is so low that, you know, you speak the truth. And especially for like a, again, I don't necessarily want to get into, and I, I feel like it's more about behavior than about identity. But then you do have these like rich cis white men. Uh, Especially the folks sitting in, they're the ones who are like ruining things for the most part. And then someone said something decent and then everyone's like, oh my gosh, how great, how brave of this person. So Jeff Flake is the person in question here who, he made the speech that was like, oh, Trump is bad. Meanwhile, he's been voting over 90% of the time with Trump. And after he made, I had to say his name, gross after after he made that speech and everyone's like oh congratulating him like how can we support him oh he's so cool he spoke the truth uh you know and i'm like people have been like speaking out against 45 since before he was even elected there are people who are protesting against him in new york city in the 90s you know it's like why are you anyway okay it's 12 11 and i'm already like about to lose it (sighs) breathing breathing is helpful so, so anyway, after he had this speech that everyone's like clapping and people are like, how can we support him? <laughs> uh, he voted against consumer protections. So now we, people are not allowed to sue banks uh, when banks and you know large financial corporations decide to screw people over as they have been. So there's even fewer protections now. He voted against the people is what I'm saying. And it, there seems to be like no, the, the cognitive dissonance is like not, it's like not, there's like none. It's like you can't. And like, why are you supporting someone who is against the people? This person is not here to protect us or to save us. And it's not so much as I get that the left has a lot of problems and we seem to do a lot of infighting. And I myself am guilty of that where it's like, uh, you know, it's like we all have the common enemy. Why can't we just figure out how to have each other's backs and like, just go, go for broke. And it's frustrating because we're all fighting amongst ourselves and we're not a lot of the time we spend time doing that instead of finding ways to collaborate (sighs) point being we shouldn't be worshiping these, these Congress folks who are literally voting against us. People who are casting votes against us. I don't understand. I don't understand it. And I feel like it's Stockholm syndrome where people have, you know, this idea we've been brought up into this, in this country and I'm sure other countries as well, where we're told that law enforcement and politicians are here to have our backs to protect us. Yet, um, that doesn't seem to happen because and most folks I know feel pretty afraid right now and pretty angry and a lot of us don't have any trust in elected officials and I'm sure there are a few out there who you know are in it for the right reasons and in it for the people and the majority of the folks aren't and the majority of the folks are hurting people and I feel like there have a lot of concessions have to be made too and I'm not saying oh it's easy to be a politician I would not want to be I would not want to have to make these compromises I am saying that through mutual aid and through individuals and through grassroots organizations, that's how change is made. That's how people are helping each other. We can't depend on the state. That's what I'm going to say. So, you know, and if the state decides to like show up and decide to help people, that's great, but I don't think we should put any stock into it. How about that? That way, you know, don't put, don't put, don't put all your eggs in one basket. The basket being, you know, the, the government. How about that? And I get that. Yeah. Like, People in the EPA are like, you know, people, there are people who are like actively employed, who are working for the people. And at the same time, we also need to find other ways of living and being. So wanting to make that clear that it's about the individuals and the work that people are doing and not so much about the, uh, the, I don't know how to describe it exactly. But I, I feel like I have more faith in individuals and people organizing outside the system than I do within the system and it's going to crumble and this country is crumbling so what's going to what how are we going to rebuild are we going to be able to rebuild will all of us be in jail will people i mean between the folks who are being deported people being incarcerated we'll go into a story about maybe we'll just even talk about it now reporters in St. Louis are continuing to be arrested so how can you how can you pretend that we don't live under a you know a fascist regime if reporters are being arrested And even not reporters, even like individuals are being arrested. That's been happening since before. That's been happening for far too long. So when we have mass incarceration, when we have so many millions of people in jail, many of whom simply because they cannot pay bail, many of whom because they've been profiled by the police, many of whom because for some reason, substances that people have every fucking right to put in their bodies has been illegal, and only certain companies are allowed to distribute them. Maybe because we live in a country or society that somehow stupidly criminalizes sex work. We have millions of people in jail and doing, you know, prison labor. There's a, a lot of the folks who are fighting the fires up in Sonoma County were, were folks who are incarcerated. <sighs> uh. So when you have these folks in prison and not war criminals, it's hard for me to, to think that it's a good idea or that it's working. It's not working. I don't feel safe. So something needs to be done. We need to find other ways of being. And then also we need to create that. And I know it's easier said than done. I can sit here and talk about it. And talking is one thing. And then creating something is different. And there are folks out there who are actively working to create. What does it look like for communities to hold each other accountable? How can we do that without the state getting involved? How can you do that without calling the police? How does that happen? And it's in every industry. This, I mean, when you have a hierarchy, that's going to happen. So, until everyone's voice is equally heard, and then that brings in the whole other conversation about free speech and how free speech is not the same as hate speech. So, needing to put that out there, and perhaps we'll get to that later. So, I'm a bit tired of hearing myself talk. Those are my thoughts. Putting it out there in the universe, perhaps you agree with some of it, most of it, a little bit, maybe you can relate to some of it, I hope so, and I think it's important to also talk about, and we need to talk with each other to figure out what is the best way to move forward and also how to keep each other safe. Speaking of which, I'm going to read an article and that's how to stay sane at 45 is driving you insane advice from a therapist. Um, For folks who are also able to see mental health professionals, I recommend it. I think it's super helpful. And if everyone had access to um, mental health in this country and in this world, we would live in a much different place. I guarantee that this came out in April. So, You know, it's but still true. So now, you know, six months down the line, it's really crucial that we still think about it. And also, how do we keep ourselves sane? Because I think for a lot of folks who are organizing and who are, you know, actively working to just change the world, it can definitely take its toll. And then even for folks who are not, perhaps, I mean, part of the article talks about how one can get involved more. And I'm curious if I've even read this on the show before. It's very possible. And this was written by Robin Chancer, and this came out on Um, politics mean politics.com. Okay. Politics means politics. Okay. That's the name of the website. And it's called how to stay sane at 45 is driving you insane advice from a therapist. And there's a terrible illustration of him. Everything about him, I feel, uh, represents terror. (laughs) Okay. I feel like I've lost faith in humanity in our country in myself. A client told me recently, is this depression or is it the election? I'm going to interject because I can. A lot of us didn't really have faith in either the country or humanity to begin with. So I think for a lot of us, just wanting to point that out there. Good question, I replied. The truth is individual psychology is hugely influenced by political realities. Many of us feel insane right now because our world is not sane. Current events are very much at odds with our natural optimism and our belief in human goodness and progress. And again, I'm going to interject and say some of us were a little bit skeptical of all those things in the first place. So what made us so optimistic in the first place? Our nation was founded on, see, I don't I don't agree with that. They say that our nation was founded on idealistic positive principles, human worth and dignity, and the inevitability of progress and the goodness of the human collective. Although I'm, uh, me as Roman Reimer is going to say, no. Okay, Alex de DeCouville is in the early 19th century described Americans' remarkable optimism with interest. As an article in The Atlantic described in 2015, Americans have maintained our unusually sunny outlook even, though, even through our darkest hours. If we have a national ideology, it w- could be encapsulated in Obama's farewell address with the assertion, I truly believe we are going to be okay. This is a bit optimistic for me. With such elevated hope, has come a long hard fall. We find ourselves in a darkening and again the reason the word darkening which I in a in negative context and I'm going to comment on that. I'm hoping not to comment on all the news stories today like this, but I have to say it's using to use to equate darkening with something negative is the whole issue in itself. Okay. Uh, da, da, da. Okay. Many are experiencing despair and anxiety like never before Judging by the increase in calls to suicide and crisis hotlines And anecdotal reports from therapists A national trauma, just like a personal one Is as disorienting as it is terrifying It makes us question everything we thought we knew Two questions must be answered in order to heal One, how can we integrate this crisis into our understanding of the world Two, what do we do now? Our anxious minds are caught in the dissonance between our belief in progress and our current political hellscape. We must understand that the belief in human progress is a myth with historical and religious context and it is no longer serving us. Its roots trace back to enlightenment philosophy whose major thinkers believed civilization would progress toward perfection if humans were free to use their reason. Optimism is also a coping mechanism. It can buoy us, again, from the dark waters. The, see, that's messed up. Ugh. stop using that word in a negative context. It can buoy us from the water, from the water I say from the waters of suffering when harsh reality is too much to take, clinging to a better future can help us carry on. Our American brand of Christianity has adopted this narrative as well. many grew up hearing sent statements like people are inherently good everything happens for a reason. Do the right thing and everything will work out. God has a plan if you I can leave everything in God's hands I Don't agree. Okay. Such statements are offered as a salve for life's inevitable pain, but they have downsides. How many of us have wanted to punch a wall after a statement like, he's in a better place? Positive thinking, when misplaced, is infuriating and unhelpful. Believing that everything will be okay sets us up for despair because each new time things are not okay, we feel beaten down again. Optimism, and this is underlined, optimism is not always healthy. It can make us complacent, fatigued, and detached from whole of our psyches. There are times when optimism is not appropriate or possible, and this is one of those times. Our president is delusional, lying, or ignorant. I'm going to say all of the above. Disastrous climate change and war with North Korea loom. Marginalized people in our society are suffering as they were, as we were, before 2016, Faced with these calamities, catastrophic thinking is a rational response. History teaches us that many arcs of history did not bend towards justice. The 65 million people currently displaced worldwide are tragic examples. We need only speak to a Native American, and I would also use the word indigenous, person to understand that collapse is entirely possible. Instead of blind faith and progress, I offer a specific practical system useful for maintaining mental health in a paranoid post positive world. One, radical acceptance and dialectical thinking. The path out of hell is through misery. By refusing to accept that misery that is part of climbing out of hell, you fall back into hell. That was a line by Marshall Lynhan, founder of Dialectical Behavior Therapy. Radical acceptance, as understood in dialectical behavior therapy, distinguishes between pain and suffering. Pain cannot be avoided. Fighting against pain, however, is what drives the majority of our suffering. Painful reality can be fully, i.e., radically, non judgmentally accepted. When something terrible happens, our natural reaction is to fight against it. This should not have happened. I can't believe it. I would do anything to go back in time. Fighting our agony won't change it, however. We are better served by accepting what happened, allowing it to change us, and working with what it is left. What is left. The response, in response to our current nightmare, we can wish it were different and stay miserable, or we can accept our new world. To be clear, this does not mean condoning what happened. It simply means coming to terms with what it, with what is and with what we cannot control. Of course, some circumstances can be changed with the right tools. There is much we cannot change, however. We cannot change that 45 was elected. We cannot change that he is very likely pathologically narcissistic. We cannot change that many Americans are loyal to him in spite of his hatred or even because of it. We see more clearly the greed rampant in the GOP establishment. We do well to accept these truths so that we can move forward rather than paralyzing ourselves with shock and outrage. You might be wondering, how can I just accept these things? They are not okay. Remember that acceptance is not condoning. To accept is not to say, this is okay. It is to say, this is what is. Notably, radical acceptance often drops us into a state of grief as we come to terms with hard realities. We may find ourselves in a place of deep sadness. If so, allow time to feel and honor it. We do well to accept that 45 is as bad as we think, he consistently demonstrates mental instability, greed, and aggression. I continue to hear, and I'm also going to make a comment, that mental instability uh, should not necessarily be th- something that's thought of as bad. It's the greed and aggression of his part that is bad. I continue to hear responses to his policies such as, how could he do this? I can't believe it. Interviewers continue their efforts to get him to say rational things. His tweets are retweeted with rebuttals and indignation. This energy is wasted. Don't allow his tweets to play over and over in your mind. If you read them, register them as insane and move on to the next moment. Even better, pay little attention to his stunts. Don't waste your energy getting riled up. Once we fully accept that 45 does evil, unhinged things, strategic lying, degrading, exploiting people, because he is evil and unhinged, we can get beyond his antics, anticipate them, and have a clear mind to plan our next move. Acknowledge that greed and racism are part of our nation's fabric. We cannot wish them away. We cannot choose blindness disguised as positive bias. Giving Republican politicians the benefit of the doubt, thank you, has allowed them to get away with murder. Expect to find white rage in any discussion about immigration or discrimination, for example. Anticipating it will help us stay calm and focused. Once we accept that, we sharpen our focus to guard against their insidious infections. We focus on the work of fighting for human rights and accountability. How do we do this practically? The dialectic piece of DBT can help us get there. The three truths of dialectical thinking. One, people are complex webs of goodness, love, selfishness, and aggression. Allowing the coexistence of opposites is the essence of dialectic. Individuals are not selfless or selfish. They are selfless and selfish. Our political terrain includes progression and regression. DBT maintains that mental health requires a paradox of acceptance and change, we accept what is and we work toward change. In a dynamic, continuing, continually evolving process, embracing ambivalence, paradox, and shades of gray promotes a sense of wholeness and flexibility. We become less outraged when circumstances don't fit within our rigid expectations. Two, we do good things because they are good, but results are not guaranteed. Sometimes circumstances work out as we hope, sometimes they do not. Most often, they are too complicated to understand fully. This mindset lets go of cause-effect thinking. If I do X, then Y should happen, which sets us up for frustration when results don't turn out as planned. Three, we are responsible for our world. Believing in some mysterious force called progress absolves individuals of responsibility. Similarly, faith that, quote-unquote, God has a plan can promote complacency, Compassion, love, and affirming values exist because people intentionally work toward them. Claiming responsibility focuses our attention on what we can do to improve our world. Whew. Step two, attention is everything. Mindfulness, essentially, the art of shifting attention, is revolutionizing mental health care. Current research in mental health demonstrates enormous benefits to mindfulness practice. In order to promote well-being, we can learn to practice mindful attention both to the present moment and to the, the good as we understand it. Faced with a frequently depressing, maddening world, this can mean focusing intently on the inspiring work going on around us in a multitude of spheres. Each time you feel hopelessness creep in, focus your attention on the kindness, generosity, and good will around you. We are witnessing an unprecedented blossoming of activism. If our eyes are tuned to the, again, tuned to the light, we will find the light. We can also use another word for that. Maybe if our, if our eyes are attuned to positive things, we'll find positive things. In the surge of donations to ACLU, in churches offering sanctuary to immigrants, and town hall meetings packed with civically engaged citizens everywhere. Each time the tapes of despair and anger play in your mind, doggedly shift your focus. The mind will wander again and again. Each time it happens, we notice the anxious thoughts and shift our focus back. The anxious mind will scream, how could our president cut Meals on Wheels? What a monster, those poor people. Then shift focus back to the good. The program has seen a 500% increase in volunteers since the cuts were proposed. Maybe I could get involved. You may object, but I can't just forget all the terrible things going on. I'm raising my hand because that's me. Um, You are right. Thank you. Mindfulness is not about forgetting. It is about shifting focus to what is most immediate and most helpful. We help no one by staying in our anguish for long. Bernie Sanders said it best. Despair is not an option. The system at work. Here is how this could play out in our minds using an example from my life recently. Anxious mind reads news about the travel ban, no, our leaders are disgusting, imagines crying children separated from their mothers, I can't believe this, pit and stomach, radical acceptance, yes, this is our reality now, our nation is rife with corruption and people are hurting, my heart goes out to all those in pain, pit and stomach softens, feels heavier, grief that follows, I need to grieve this, the pain is real, deep breath, moment of silence, then the mindful attention to the good, How can I support Muslim people in my community? Searches online. There is an Islamic society nearby. I will contact them. Calls and emails. I received an email in response indicating that many others had reached out as well. Greetings of peace to all of you. We, I have been overwhelmed with your kindness in my reading of each of your emails and letters. In an effort to thank all of you from the bottom of my heart, I would love to extend a humble invitation to each of you on behalf of the Islamic Society. The Society hosted an event to bring us together in dialogue, and it was one of the most heartwarming, inspiring experiences I have had all year. I learned, about more, I learned more about Islam and visited a mosque for the first time. I looked in people's eyes and asked them questions and felt something sacred among us. Despair shouts back, but this is a drop in the bucket compared to what our government is doing. What if it's all useless? Pessimism is not helpful either. Both optimism and pessimism require future-oriented thinking. They exist in the hypothetical, the imaginary. Mindfulness involves shifting our attention repeatedly, resolutely, back to the present moment. We do not know the future. We cannot fully know the impact of any particular action. We must focus on what we can do, right here and right now. Bring the mind back from its runway worries and future predictions. Focus that energy on concrete action, and the rewards will feed your soul. We are traveling a long road toward change. At times, the pain will be so intense that these skills may not serve us fully. In those moments, allow yourself breaks. Care for yourself. If you find you are struggling to function normally, you may be experiencing more serious depression, anxiety, or trauma symptoms. Reaching out to a professional can help. When I need strength, I reread the note from the Islamic Society. Many thanks for your support, encouragement, and efforts done to assist our community during this difficult time. I remember the humility and kindness in that room. No one, not even 45, can take that away. Huh. So... That, um feels good. It feels good. And I think it's a probably a good story to start off on with the show because we're getting to some more news stories and it is important just to remember that I guess this idea I hadn't really thought about before, this idea that accepting doesn't necessarily mean condoning. And I guess one can talk more about that. Um, but this idea that you know, how do we move past it and how do we work to push against all that's being done to us and in a way where we have the energy and the wherewithal to do it. So I do appreciate, and like a lot of the, I appreciated a lot of the sentiments in this story. So if you would like to read this yourself and or share it, um, it's on the website called PoliticsMeansPolitics.com. It came out on April twenty sixth, and it was written by Robin Chancer, who is a behavioral specialist, sensitive social worker, immigration enthusiast, ready to laugh and cry at a moment's notice. Okay, that's Robin's little brief bio there. So that's good. Uh, I'm going to play another song, and then we're going to get into some more stuff about why this country is... We'll get into it in a bit. So, coming up next on the music, on the music train, what would be good? Um, How about the Kinsey Six doing a cover of Proud Mary? I think that sounds like something that I would want to hear. So, we'll be back in a bit. (laughs)
0: In the city,
2: cause
1: and we seem to have some technical difficulties. We're going to get that worked out momentarily here. And... As it happens, here's another song. This is uh, the Homo Bills with St. James Infirmary Blues.
3: Shot of that food And if anyone should ever ask about me
4: You tell them I got the St. James infirmary
0: I'm happy to give it. Big queens keep on turning. The ballerinas keep on turning. And, turnin turnin and we're rolling, rolling, trolling on the river. Rolling, trolling trolling on the river. Trollin', trollin', rolling, 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 rolling,
2: rolling, rolling,
1: Mackenzie Six, with their cover of Proud Mary, changing the lyrics up a bit. That was pretty awesome. Appreciate that quite a bit. The next story we're going to get to is a very brief, and it says a lot. And it's from Democracy Now!, and a lot of this is what folks have known for a while. And it's also, when the surveys come out, that reaffirm what we already know. It's also important to talk about it. So this was from Democracy Now!, and this came out on October 25th. Poll! What the poll says, US troops say white nationalists pose greater threat than Iraq, Afghanistan. That's a surprise. And I hope you can hear my sarcasm there. Back in the United States, thirty percent of United States service members say they consider white nationalists to be a significant threat to US security, ranking it above the conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, or Syria. That's according to a new poll by the newspaper Military Times. The poll also shows one in four U.S. service members say they have seen displays of white nationalism by their fellow soldiers. So this is coming from the military itself. So even the military itself can admit it as a problem. It'd be interesting to see if law enforcement here, you know, could also accept that and uh, admit that. Then we can start having a conversation. And I'm also just thinking about how, is the military going to be able to protect us from our fellow citizens here? Because a lot of us kind of need it. We it's the, the fights happening right here in this country. So we need to be protected. So that's, I mean, that's it. You can check it out. democracynow.org. <sighs> yep. That's, that's it. Nothing, nothing more to see here. That's it. That says it all. That really says it all. I'm going to go into another story and I don't know which one it will be. I don't necessarily, I have, I do some planning for the show, and some weeks it takes more energy than others. Sometimes uh, it's more, I don't know, it's difficult. It's, before you know it, it's a Friday, and then I'm here, and there's a lot to talk about, and I also miss having folks on the show. So I've been doing my best to reach out to people and invite folks to come on the show. So also feel free to put the word out that, I'm also, you know, looking for some guests, community organizers, activists, folks who are able to either call in or come in in person and share what's happening. It makes, it's really good just to hear from one another and to to learn a lot. I have a positive story for everybody. That's great. I disagree with this headline. I tend to disagree with it a bit. Uh, it's from Gizmodo and this came out, gizmodo.com, I should say, and it was written by Sydney Fussell and it came out yesterday and the their headline is: "This tech activist wants to donate your spare change to bail relief," and I think one doesn't necessarily uh, calling them a, a tech activist. I don't know. I've never seen those two words together in in that order, and it's just it's kind of rubs me the wrong way. Um, I think we can just say this activist wants to do- wants to donate your spare change into bail relief. And this again came out yesterday, and it's at Gizmodo.com. And yes, Sydney Fussell's the name of the writer of this piece. Right now, 450,000 people are incarcerated in America without being convicted of a crime. That's a lot of people. Charged with bails they can't afford, they sit in jail awaiting their trials. Backlogs are extensive and overcrowding is common. Some wait weeks, others wait months, and some even die in custody before getting their day in court. Enter app an app concept aimed at crowdfunding bail relief for these people modeled after spare change apps. Given the prominence of crowdfunding, the digital activist behind this, the initiative, says it's long overdue. We live in a moment of people on Kickstarter raising thousands and thousands of dollars for potato salad," said Courtney Ryan Ziegler, joked to Gizmodo. Inspired by bail relief initiatives and the money-making potential of a well-timed tweet, Ziegler took to Twitter. Tweeter- tweeter. <laughs> Ziegler took to Twitter this summer with a radical idea, a spare change app that could benefit thousands of incarcerated people across the country. Tied to your bank account, the app would, for example, donate the remaining 20 cents to a bail relief organization when you buy something for $1.80. I'm a trained researcher, he said. I'm always like, who who can I reach out to first? What can I do first? And what leverage can I what can I leverage first so that I can convey my idea to get support in a way. And so they show King they show um, Courtney's tweet and the their name on Twitter is at fake rapper, an app that converts your daily change into bail money to free black people. In 2013 Ziegler founded Transhack, an Oakland mini incubator that hosts hackathons for trans and non-binary tech innovators. TransHack's specialty is reworking familiar tech concepts into high hybridized social justice initiatives. Here a spare change app becomes bail relief. Previously, a project developed at TransHack used geolocation to find gender-safe bathrooms. Another resulted in a Yelp Lake service to connect trans and non-binary patients with medical care. The model has been proven for change, Roundup apps. I thought it would be great if that model could be used for getting folks to rally around incarcerated black people, Ziegler said. Why not marry those two together and make something that is open source and useful and can be applicable to focusing on helping folks make bail? There's instances of people where sometimes bail is really low, like $200, and they have to stay in jail for months, and that's not okay. Ziegler recalls the National Mama's Bailout Day. In May, 25 civil rights groups crowdfunded $400,000 to bail out mothers stuck in Uh, pre-trial detention. Seeing crowdfunding actually be used to free black people was so inspiring to me, he said. A 2016 report from the Vera Institute of Justice found 80% of all women in jail are mothers. Most are single mothers. One of my parents is incarcerated, so I think a number of black Americans deal with that on an intimate level, Ziegler explained. But also, trans folks in particular are victims of incarceration and not being able to afford bail when they are arrested for alleged crimes. According to Lambda Legal, an LGBT-centered civil liberties nonprofit, a staggering one in six trans people has been, have been incarcerated. Trans people in jails face higher risks of violence, sexual assault, and being denied medical treatment. As the project grows, Ziegler has had to face a hard truth. Providing relief isn't as simple as building an app. Complicated issues compound. Who gets the funds? How do you prioritize potential recipients? And many bail relief groups aren't set up to receive crowdsourced funds digitally. Ziegler says he's spoken with lawyers, designers, developers, entrepreneurs, and brought on a project manager to help develop the app. The goal is to have the app up and running within three months, but he's wary of promoting this as a quick fix to a deeply complex problem. People want to help, but they sort of fall short with some initiatives, he hedges. Some things become paternalistic and things like that. I really hope that the the publicity around what's happening with the app is going to boost the work that's already being done by amazing people. So there is some good news. And again, it's the individuals who are doing it. It's the people who are doing it, right? So that's pretty awesome. And again, you can find this article at gizmodo.com. And I'm going to play some more music. And rest my voice for a little bit, and then we'll get ready for the the next story. And this is a song by Bronsky beat called "Tell me Why." song that was leaf with what w u t is how it's spelled in a really awesome video so folks could check should check that out before that we heard black fag which is a queer black flag cover band um with tv party and before that i'm sure i played another song and that was bronski beat that's what i played (sighs) and that was We're getting there. Thanks to Bob for recommending Bronski Beat. And thanks to uh, Rosen for recommending uh, Black Fag. So going along, and the Bronski Beat song was called Tell Me Why. There we go. Okay. So next up... (sighs) I guess the theme theme of the show usually is people in positions of power doing harmful things to humanity. And Jeff Bezos is one of those people... So this is an op-ed written by Hamilton Nolan, and this came out on splinter.com, splinternews.com, and this came out in September, so it's, you know, a little over a month old, but it's still very valid. Amazon's new headquarters should be in hell, and I get that a lot of folks order things on Amazon, and folks should maybe boycott Amazon. How about that? How about if you're able to um, support local businesses and small businesses instead of supporting Amazon? Yesterday, Amazon announced that it was searching for a new city to build a second massive $5 billion headquarters. Exciting? No. Disgusting. This is what the extortion of public resources looks like. The point I want to make here is not original or revolutionary or even deeply insightful. It is obvious. But it is very easy for it to get lost in the hype of this enormous multi-billion dollar headquarters search with 50,000 jobs. Revitalize your failing city. Join the modern age. Get your cow town a piece of the Amazon action. Act now and win the Amazon sweepstakes or get left behind like the dying post-industrial wasteland that you really are. Amazon is one of America's largest and most successful corporations. It is worth nearly $500 billion dollars. Its stock is booming. Its CEO is one of the world's richest men. It has the wherewithal, in other words, to do whatever it wants. If Amazon wanted to purchase five square blocks of Midtown Manhattan tomorrow and build skyscrapers on it, it could, just by writing a check. More to the point, if Amazon wanted to help revitalize an American city by investing $5 billion in it to build a new headquarters there, bringing 50,000 new jobs to town, it could, just by writing a check. Instead, Amazon is holding a multinational audition asking for cities to submit proposals to win the exciting opportunity to host tens of thousands of tech nerds. Amazon wants to know what's, that cities have an educated workforce and good transportation networks. Sure, sure, but they don't need the cities themselves to tell them that. What they are asking cities to submit are economic incentives. They are asking for tax breaks. They are, in essence, conducting a giant beauty pageant in which desperate municipal governments attempt to offer them the most lucrative possible package of public resources. This is not unlike a rich man standing up in the middle of a crowd of beggars and yelling, Who will massage my feet for the lowest price? Not to speak too technically, but this is bad. This is a method that completely forsakes all of the benefits of public cooperation and planning in favor of chaos and desperation. This is crabs in a pot. These corporate attempts to play state and local governments against one another at taxpayer expense should be made illegal. Instead, they are treated as fun competitions to be won, exhibitions of civic pride. They're not. They are exhibitions of the grotesque power imbalance between private and public capital in America— Elected officials routinely brag over winning these degrading competitions for corporate locations without ever admitting the enormous public costs. Whichever city wins Amazon's headquarters will do so by ceding to the enormously powerful company money that should, by normal laws, be going into the public till to build schools and roads and pay firefighters and do things that support everyone. Instead, that money will support Amazon and its shareholders. This is not a desirable system. A desirable system would be to outlaw these types of tax incentives, which would result in companies still locating in cities and states, but without robbing the public in order to do so. A desirable system would be one in which governments could insist that companies offer incentives to the public in order to be accommodated. Incentives like, for example, promising not to impede their workers' rights to form unions or to impose soul-crushing and inhuman working conditions on the fine citizens of said municipal... municipal Ah, municipal... I'm laughing at myself. Municipality who will make up their workforce. So when you so when your civic leaders lining up to grovel at Amazon's feet and offer countless millions in incentives to host their headquarters, keep in mind what is actually happening here. An extremely wealthy and powerful private corporation is extorting money from the public by dividing and conquering. This has been a successful strategy for many tyrants over the years, but we don't need to act like they're doing any of us a favor. I fucking love that and i agree so again you can find this article at splinternews.com and it came out in september and the author of the piece is hamilton nolan so yeah i, I know oakland was one of the cities that amazon was looking at ugh, i mean we kind of don't want them anywhere is the thing so ugh. just just no 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 uh there's some other stories we'll be getting to after our next break it's about 105 p.m you're listening to mutiny radio you can support us by going to meetanyreader.fm. We have a, I believe we have a donate button. This is all community run. It's all collective. So by all means, please help help us. I'm going through the stories here and figuring out what to talk about next. There's just so much here. Um, I think we'll talk about the parks. This is a super sad story. Uh, And it was on NPR, and this is again how the state is not here to help us, it's here to destroy us. That's my summary. Um, Fees, actually, I'm gonna, they played it, so I'm gonna replay it so I don't have to read it. That's it's about outsourcing, right? And uh, this is on NPR, so just be playing a clip here.
5: Some other news the cost of entering a national park may soon go up a lot. The Interior Department is proposing to more than double entry fees for popular parks in busy months. The money would address $11 billion worth of deferred maintenance, NPR's Nathan Rott reports.
6: The National Park Service has a long-standing money problem. That's the impetus for this proposed fee increase, which would change the entrance fee from $30 for a car to $70 for some of the country's most popular parks during their peak summer months. Mary Sue Costello lives in West Yellowstone, Montana, a gateway community for two of those parks, Yellowstone and Grand Teton, and she says she gets it. She's seen the crumbling parking lots and long bathroom lines.
0: Something has to be done, most certainly. But yes, we are concerned that it could affect particularly families on a lower income
6: Costello works at West Yellowstone's Chamber of Commerce and Visitor Center, and she says she's constantly struck by the joy people share after their visit to a park. And she worries
0: if they're priced out of that market, how long will that desire and dedication to preserving national parks be within the ethos of the American people?
6: The Interior Department projects the increase would raise an additional 70 million dollars a year, and they argue that it's needed. A record 331 million people visited parks last year. John Loomis, a professor at Colorado State University, recently conducted a survey that found that people were willing to pay more to maintain and preserve parks. And he says he doesn't think the fee increase would be prohibitive compared to hotels, rental cars and other expenses. It's a small part of the overall cost of the trip. Public comments on the proposal are being accepted until Thanksgiving. Nathan Rod, NPR News. And so, I'm going to weigh in with my own
1: perspective. If if the parks are short for fucking money, take it out from the military budget. Why are the people paying to keep the parks open? Parks are natural. Like, if, similar to, like, the roads, we're spending how much money on, like, military, like, jets and bombs and weapons? A fraction of the military budget could go to parks. Keep it open. It's solved. End of problem. End of story. People don't have to pay out of pocket when the money that we pay that goes to the military. If we're paying money that goes to the, the uh, I'm losing it. There's no reason that we should be paying for all these military jets. The military budget needs to like dissolve. Even if it were like, even if it were like a 10th lower, it would take care of the parks problem. And also future thinking. I know the first article that I read was about how you shouldn't, you we can't plan the future. However, What's going to happen with the parks? They're already trying to find ways to privatize the parks, so people can like, so they they can lease it out to companies for mining and for logging. Like that's what's happening. They are looking to privatize the parks. They don't care about nature. They've already done it with the pipelines. They don't care about the earth. They don't care about the people. So they're going to use whatever excuses they can to slowly, and I'm using quotation marks so you can't see me, you know, move along towards what their desired goal is, which is to totally have full say over the entire planet so they can colonize everything they can sell out everything they don't care about nature they don't care about the trees they don't care about fixing the maintenance of the the parks if they wanted to do that they would take out of their fucking military budget and i'm not gonna drop the microphone because it's connected to a stand but that's how i feel and i feel like a lot of us are saying what's the end game here they don't care about the fucking parks they don't when they're trying to like dismantle the EPA, they don't care about the parks. They don't care about the planet. They're trying to make profit off it. And this is how that's leading. They want people to pay for it. It's fucking bullshit. Uh, I like parks. If you didn't understand, I like parks. People shouldn't have to... Uh, uh, we have enough resources to keep everything together. However, there are few... In, how about Jeff Bezos donate? He's a billionaire. He can donate some money to keep the fucking parks open. How about that? The people shouldn't have to. Struggling families should not have to pay extra to go into a park. Oh, okay, I feel better. Not really, but somewhat. It's good to talk about these things. Oh, okay, moving along. I, I will be getting to some other stories as well. Oh, oh, it's it's frustrating as hell. It really is. Okay, I'll do one more, and then we'll take a break. Uh, that one's... Uh, uh. I'm going through the list here. Um, yeah, there's a few topics we, excuse me, speaking about afterwards. There's also, oh my gosh, there's just so much. I'm so angry at so many people right now. There's, oh, nope, that's bad news. That's sad. And I, I do understand the, oh, I'm going to read something positive right now because we need to end this segment. It's not really a segment. Yeah, it's a segment. That's okay. The show doesn't have any rules. <sighs> Some positive news. It's not from here. It's from Canada. <laughs> Ontario makes it illegal to protest outside and near abortion clinics. Imagine that. I mean, yeah. Like, can you imagine going in to get some healthcare and you have people outside telling you that you're going to hell for it? I mean, people just don't... get Anyway. So, again, and I've noticed on the show since the very beginning, the positive news stories are like people preventing bad things from happening or bad things no longer happening, things that shouldn't have happened in the first place. So here we go. This is from CBC News. It's uh, cbc.ca. Ontario makes it illegal to protest outside of near abortion clinics. Legislature passes bill to create zones around eight abortion clinics in the province. I hope they have more than eight abortion clinics in the province. That's not very many. Anyway. The Canadian Press. This came out on October 25th. It will soon be illegal to protest outside and near abortion clinics in Ontario. The legislature passed a bill Wednesday to create zones around eight clinics in the province between 50 and 150 meters in which anti-abortion protests advising a person not to get an abortion and intimidation or interfering with a woman's, I'm going to correct that and say a person's ability to access the services will be banned because not just women go to Planned Parenthood. (sighs) The ban will also automatically apply to 150 meters around the homes of abortion staff and health professionals who provide the services. Oh my goodness. I'm sighing because the fact that health professionals are threatened for doing, for helping people is just, I don't know the world we live in. I don't, I don't get it. I'm, pretty sure I'm not from this planet. I don't get it. I, like, I think the earth is beautiful, and there's a lot of great humans here, and nature is beautiful, and animals. I really, I feel like I'm not from here. I don't get it. I don't understand. A lot of things here seem super backwards. But this is a positive story, so I'll get on with it. Attorney General uh, Yasir Nakvi cheered that all three parties worked together to pass the legislation on a sped-up timeline. We, as legislatures, as legislators, have passed a very important piece of legislation ensuring that people... I'm going to correct them here, that people have safe access to health care services like reproductive health and abortion services, he said. We worked with this bill on a very short time frame to ensure that we protect, he says, women. I, they should mean more than women because men also need reproductive health care. So just putting that out there. Okay. Bill's timing inflamed tensions between liberals and PCs. PCs. The bill's timing had inflamed political tensions between the governing liberals and the opposition progressive conservatives, Progressive conservatives. Hmm. Okay. The Tories had proposed passing the bill immediately after it was introduced with no debate or committee hearings, and the liberals declined, which led to the PCs to accuse the government of trying to draw it out, hoping it would expose divisions within the PC party. Opposition leader Patrick Brown noted his party unanimously voted for the bill's passage Wednesday and said it did not cause any divisions within his caucus. Several of his caucus members, including those who have espoused socially conservative views, however, were absent for the vote. Two were away for health reasons. That's ironic, Uh, Brown said, though I hope no one was protesting where they are getting their health care. Brown said, though they are not members who hold those views. Brown did not directly address the absence of the social conservative members, but noted many liberals were away as well. That included two of the three liberals who have have been praised by anti-abortion group Campaign Life Coalition for their views. The lone politician to vote against the bill was Jack McLaren, a former progressive conservative. I don't understand how, you, I mean, I get it. I don't, I'm not that familiar with Canadian politics, so I'm ignorant here. I just, it, the, the phrase progressive conservative uh, it makes my head feel funny. Um, who now sits as an independent after joining the Trillium party, which the legislature does not recognize as an official party. CLC threatening legal challenge if necessary. Ugh. Campaign Life Coalition released a statement threatening a legal challenge to the bill if necessary, saying it attacks freedom of speech. Again, this bullshit of fucking freedom of- people are going in for their fucking healthcare and you're harassing them. How is how should that be protected? Fucking idiots. Ugh. Whew. Nakvi has previously said that going through a proper legislative process, even an exped- ex- expedited one versus immediate passage, helps to ensure the bill can withstand a constitutional challenge. No changes were made to the bill between its introduction and its passage. The law will not come into force immediately, however, as the zones need to be set through regulations, Nakvi said. There will be an application process for other health care providers or pharmacists, as some Ontario pharmacies recently started offering the abortion pill, Myfigismo. My fig- my f- hmm my f- gim- my f- my f- I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that anyone who violates the safe zones will face up to five thousand dollars in fines and six months in jail for their first offense and fines of one thousand to ten thousand dollars and up to a year in jail for a second or a subsequent offense so I wonder if they could do that here in the states again I'm not for incarcerating people I'm also though for folks um, not protesting in front of abortion clinics. If you want to go help people, um, why don't you go either adopt some kids? Although if you're going to espouse your fucking anti-choice words, maybe that's not a great idea, but like mind your own business maybe is a thing. Let people take care of their own health care. Also, how about even if you don't like it, how about you go out and uh, do, you know, actual real sex ed or pass out condoms or talk about birth control you know, if you're so opposed to abortion, pass out condoms. That's a, that's an idea. Okay. And even beyond that, I mean, they shouldn't even, It's... Yeah, but it's... Okay. I'm not going to tell people what to do, or maybe I am. But don't pro- protest in front of an abortion clinic. Okay, that brings us to our next time uh, to take a music break. Let's see what we have here. Um, here's a song by... A band called Two Nice Girls called I Spent My Last Ten Dollars.
7: When I was a young girl like normal girls do. I look to a woman's love to help get me through. I never needed any more than a feminine touch. I hated the thought of kissing a man. disillusion to lose another girlfriend Well, Lester came to work at Papa's store and decided to ease on I guess that i was done i spent my last ten dollars on birth control and beer my life was so much simpler when i was sober and queer but the love of a strong hairy man has turned my head up fear it made me spend my last ten bucks on birth control and beer for force. course for a woman to love a man, she must also love to booze. If a woman don't drink beside her man, then she will surely lose him. As I sit in this hetero honky tonk and reflect upon my past, I think about those old girlfriends and why they did not last. For the certain. Th- was so much simpler when I was sober and queer, but the love of a strong, hairy man has turned my head, I fear, and made me spend my last ten bucks on birth control and beer. I spend my last
4: Make shoes are fine, but I would rather take mine off and feel the grass beneath my feet. And me and Mary both agree. It's the meantime time. Say I almost love you all I'm saying is I might love you somewhat differently.
1: the weekly review, some great music for you there. That last song we heard was called Huckleberry and that was by Stormy Miguel Flores. And before that, we heard The Floating Corpses with Barbary Ghost Revenge. And before that, Two Nice Girls with I Spent My Last $10 on Birth Control and Beer. (sighs) Hope everyone appreciated that. Thank you everyone for suggesting these songs. Really appreciate it good to hear some new songs that we haven't heard before there's a lot of great talented artists out there and it's also important i think also just to highlight marginalized voices and to you know play some music from folks that we may have not heard and just to you know put put those words out there so there's a lot more stories to get to we'll see what we can do we have half an hour left let's see what we can do first off well one thing seven things you need to know to be a good ally to an intersex person. So yesterday, October 26th, was Intersex Awareness Day, and there's an article written by Christina Marusik and this came out on newnownext.com, and this came out on October 23rd. October 26th is Intersex Awareness Day. While there are some important distinctions between intersex individuals and members of the LGBT community, more on that below, we have a long history of working together as allies. In the spirit of continuing that relationship, here are seven things you should know to be a good ally to an intersex friend. One, what does intersex mean anyway? And they have a picture of the intersex flag, which is yellow with a purple circle in the middle. That looks like an O. Intersex is a blanket term referring to people who are born with sex characteristics that fall outside the traditional notions of male and female bodies. Sometimes the differences are physical, other times chromosomal. chromosomal. For example, an intersex person may be born with XY chromosomes and testes, with with XY chromosomes and ovaries, or even with an extra chromosome XXY. There are over 30 types of intersex variations, which may be related to chromosomes, hormone levels, genitals, and or internal reproductive organs. Intersex traits are not necessarily life-threatening, but some may be associated with serious medical conditions. That's the intersex flag above, by the way, they say. It's important to understand what that intersex refers to biology rather than identity. While gay, lesbian, and bisexual refer to sexuality, and terms like transgender and gender fluid refer to gender identity, intersex refers to specifically to physiological traits. Two, some people don't discover their intersex until later in life. Some intersex characteristics, like those that affect the appearance of a person's gen- genitalia, are identified at birth. Others, like those affecting hormone levels, may not be discovered until puberty, when secondary sex characteristics like hair growth, body odor, breasts, and or menstruation fail to develop. And they have a photo above of model Hanny Gabby Odle, um, apologies for mispronunciation, above, found out she was intersex when she was 17. Some don't find out until even later in life. People can discover that they're intersex at any age. Three, being intersex is a lot more common than you think. Experts estimate that up to 1.7% of the world's population is born with intersex traits. That's about the same as the percentage of people born with red hair. So it's likely you've met someone who is intersex, even if you don't realize it, or even if you didn't realize it. Four, genital surgery on intersex babies is still common. October 26th is celebrated as Intersex Awareness Day because it's the anniversary of the first public demonstration by intersex people in North America in 1996 advocates gathered outside the American Academy of Pediatrics annual conference on Boston to protest the organization's support for cosmetic genital surgery on intersex babies. That fight continues 21 years later. Despite numerous studies indicating infant uh, genitoplasty does more harm than good, physicians in the U.S. and elsewhere still routinely perform medically unnecessary procedures on intersex babies. Parents consenting to these operations usually have the best of intentions, but these procedures, which are almost always irreversible, can leave patients sterile, interfere with urination, and affect a person's sexual function and sensation. Some people operated on as babies report feeling they were assigned the wrong sex, and even those who do feel at home in their bodies often show high levels of physiological distress when they learn they were operated on as infants. Doctors argue these procedures are necessary to prevent stigma and psychological trauma, but a long-term study in the International Journal of Pediatric Endocrinology indicated intersex children who were not operated on showed no major concerns. Intersex activists, international human rights organizations, and even several former U.S. surgeons general regard this as a critical human rights issue. They're urging pediatricians to delay medically unnecessary surgery and instead let intersex kids grow up with whatever healthy genital tissue they're born with so they can make their decision make the decision for themselves when they're older 5 there's a long history of discrimination against intersex athletes international sports has a long history of subjecting female athletes to sex testing as recently as the 1960s olympic athletes were forced to strip naked oh as recently as the 1960s olympic athletes were forced to strip naked before doctors before to receive a certificate of femininity (laughs) we're almost there okay let's take a breath try this again i know i'm reading fast As recently as the 1960s, Olympic athletes were forced to strip naked before doctors before to receive a certificate of femininity, which they'd then have to carry with them to prove their womanhood. Intersex athletes continue to face discrimination today. South African runner Castor Semenya is perhaps the most famous. In 2009, the International Association of Athletics Federation's IAAF forced Semenya to undergo gender testing, results revealing that she had hyperandrogen... Hyperandrogenism, which causes elevated testosterone levels, were leaked to the press, and she was hounded mercilessly on social media. The IAAF made special rules requiring intersex athletes to un- either to to either undergo hormone replacement therapy or have surgery to regulate their testosterone levels. Thankfully, the rules were suspended in time for Semenya to take home the gold in the women's 800-meter race in the 2016 Olympics last year. But the IAAF could still reinstate them. Six. The intersex community's moment of visibility is long overdue. Intersex people and their parents have long been told by doctors to keep their status a secret. In some parts of the world, child abandonment, infanticide, and violence against mothers of intersex children is common. But now, more and more intersex people are coming out to share their stories and erase the stigma. Earlier this year, Belgian model Hanne, Gabi-Odili came out as intersex. So did Dutch singer El Bandita. Intersex activist Hilda Valoria has published a memoir exploring a life lived between genders, and in April, intersex activists from all over the world gathered in Amsterdam for the largest international intersex forum ever. Intersex people are gaining more visibility in popular culture and the media, too. MTV's Faking It introduced an intersex character in 2014 and later featured guest actor Amanda Saines, the first out intersex actor to play an intersex character on TV. A wide range of media outlets from the Washington Post to the Atlantic to Vogue have begun highlighting the stories of intersex people. Public policy in the U.S. is already starting to change. The first intersex birth certificate in the U.S. um, was issued in New York earlier this year. And last week, California followed Oregon to become the second state, yay, to legally recognize a third non-binary gender. Montana is considering a similar change. Very cool. So here's a video. There's one more thing to read in the article. And first, I'm going to play a video that they that is included um, in this article for folks.
5: Raise your hands if you have testes. I'm Pigeon. I'm Alice. I'm Emily. I'm Cypher. And we are intersexy. Intersex describes a person who doesn't fit the typical definition of male or female. I have XY chromosomes, but typical female genitalia. I'm a girl who has testes and XY chromosomes. I identify as a queer, gender non-conforming, intersex person.
8: I identify as a black intersex man.
5: Intersex is not new. It's been around since the beginning of human existence. I mean, there's probably even intersex dinosaurs, if you think about it. Transgender has to deal with your gender identity, whereas intersex has to deal with your biological characteristics.
8: Often, intersex people get surgeries that they don't want, and transgender people have to fight for surgeries that they do want. They gave my mom the excuse that the internal testes were cancerous, that I would develop cancer. They didn't even
5: come up with an excuse, basically, in terms of a health-related reason. They instead just said it was about the appearance. A lot of doctors are very uncomfortable with the idea that I have testes, and they're still trying to get them removed. But I'm perfectly healthy, and there's nothing wrong with them. They did a surgery to remove my testes and told my parents to take me home, and just raise me as a girl, and I didn't find out about it myself until I was
8: 12. There aren't a lot of options, or medical providers don't explore other options. My mom would put me in dresses, and she would be like, oh, aren't you so cute and you're so pretty, and I would be like, no, this is horrible, ah. I was um, put on hormonal treatment, which consisted of estrogen and progesterone. I just wanted to belong. I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to be different. So even though I knew something felt amiss, I conformed. He was very condescending. He was like, you intersex activists don't know what you're talking about.
5: It's difficult for intersex people to find each other because from an early age we're told not to talk about our bodies.
8: I did feel like I was the only one.
5: My doctors always told me there was nobody else like me and so it just perpetuates a vicious cycle of shame and stigma that we can't break out of. I would tell another intersex person that you are worthy, you are lovable.
8: Your body is beautiful, you're beautiful.
5: Intersex people don't need to be fixed. There's nothing wrong with them. I know you feel like you might not be able to get through this. I know you might have really dark thoughts, but I want you to know that meeting other intersex people and finding a community or a support group can be one of the most important aspects in your healing process. And we're out there. We're out here. We're here. And I just hope you can find us.
1: Okay, so that's the video that's featured in this article, and so number seven is, that's the end of the video, uh, seven, you can help. Okay, how can we help? There are lots of ways to be an ally to the intersex community. You can donate to advocacy organizations like Interact or the Intersex Campaign for Equality, and right now I'm going to share this um, right now on the Weekly Review webpage, and that way you can find it there and also clink, clink, click on the links to donate and to get more information so right now if you go to facebook.com slash weekly rev article articles right there for you so number seven yes so you can donate to advocacy organizations like interact or the intersex campaign for equality you can educate your friends and family about intersex people by sharing their stories and educational resources on social media you can encourage others to treat intersex people respectfully by using their preferred pronouns and not asking invasive questions about their medical history. And you can also support non-discrimination ordinances that specifically include intersex people, oppose anti-trans bathroom bills, which also impact intersex people, and support efforts to stop unnecessary procedures on intersex infants. So there we go. That's, um, yeah, Um, well, we we have to support each other. And so again, yesterday was uh, Intersex Awareness Day, so happy Intersex Awareness Day. That was yesterday. Next up, daughter of Focus on the Family, executive, comes out as a lesbian. Uh, I'm not going to read the full article, but just let us know that this happened. This is also on newnownext.com, and this came out on October 17th. It was written by Christina Marusik, and she says, I got to the point where I felt like no matter the cost, I had to be authentic with myself. Maybe there's a line I can read here. There's some photos. Um She says, My family and I were always close. We did everything together. So this pressure, feeling like I had to filter everything I did and said to ultimately make them comfortable was exhausting. I got to the point where I felt like no matter the cost, I had to be authentic with myself. That's very cool. And then she says, I think what really drove me to write the book was how high the suicide rates are among LGBTQ people. I myself was close to becoming one of those statistics after I came out. All the devastation I went through, the loss, the grief... A lot of those memories are still tender, and so the name of this person also should we should mention is Amber Cantorna, and we all know focus on the family is not not good. So anyway, this person now um, she has a wife named Claire, and they live in Denver, and so she founded a nonprofit called Beyond that helps LGBT people of faith through the coming out process. So. There is something positive too, and of course, every you know, we're all everyone's. I feel like it's fluid and it's on a spectrum, and especially the folks who work against that, it's just it's really difficult. Okay, next up, we're we've got 16 minutes left, so there's a lot to get to. I'll try to summarize. Um, one sent by the press on uh, Thursday, October 26th. The Union social compartir, the signature, the signatory organizations, state level unions. We share our concern about the situation in Cata, Catalonia, the repression that the state has unleashed, the decline in rights and freedoms that this implies and will entail, and the rise of a rancid nationalism that um, whew, that is reappearing in much of the state. There's a whole. There's a lot of this. So um, it's written initially in Spanish and it's been translated. So folks are speaking out against state repression that's happening in Spain and Catalonia. And all right, got to that. And next, and I apologize. I mean, there's, you know, the show could be 24 hours and we still wouldn't get to even a fraction of what's happening in the world or even a fraction of what's reported in the world. Oh, here's another one. I'm going to probably finish up with this one. It's free speech and Nazis, seven talking points for your liberal friends. Super important. And I'm going to make sure that there's nothing else um, that I wanted to get to specifically before we – and and I'm sure that I'm going to be missing something. So I did mention that reporters in St. Louis are being arrested, and that's fucked up. And there's some other stories, but we got to be – there's time. We are – running out of time. So this comes from IdaVox.com, uh, October 24th, 2017. Free speech and Nazis, seven talking points for your liberal friends. And this is super important because people are still – it's frustrating that we have to spend our energy um, arguing for self-defense and to live, and it's important also just to have, like, points for the folks – who the people who do have the energy to still talk to the people who are – it's like sometimes it's like banging your head against a wall, I feel, with people who – I get that they're well-intentioned. I get that their heart is in the right place. And they will literally say they love me and at the same time back up the idea that we are not allowed to defend ourselves or that's not the right way to do it. And it's so frustrating. It's dehumanizing and it's gaslighting. So for the folks who do have the energy to argue with liberals, I don't know if I'm really in that category anymore because I'm just running out of patience. But maybe I just need to take a break for a little bit for folks who do. Okay, free speech, Don't talk to me about free speech. A new hateful slurry of white supremacists, misogynists, and bigots are making a show of their speeches lately. Predictably, many on the left are once again trotting out the idea of free speech and shaking their heads at those who wish to protest the bigots. But this isn't about free speech. Protesting Nazis, the KKK, and white supremacists was never about their speech. Our protest about stopping their ability to mobilize for genocide. It is about ending... Um, Our protest is about, yes, it is about ending a movement that seeks to destroy entire communities of people simply for how they look, love, or worship. It is about stopping their power-hungry lunge to oppress people and deny us our rights. They are trying to enact a world that would lead to untold suffering. It is our duty to oppose them. We must stop them from taking further action on their hateful rhetoric. I was in the streets of Charlottesville to oppose white supremacists at the Unite, the Unite the Right rally, and was ten feet away from the terror attack that killed Heather Heyer. I've been in the streets a lot lately to oppose these the jerks. Last year, I was part of an effort to oppose notorious Nazi Richard Spencer at his group's annual conference. When we got one of their events, when we got one of their events canceled, leaving them scrambling for another venue. I later debated Spencer during a 2020 ABC news program filming, Just Debate, No Punching, when it became obvious that the news program was going to find someone, anyone, claiming to be anti-fascist. So, I believe that taking, talking has its place. I stand against censorship and I support free speech when times are calm. But when the white supremacists are gaining strength, making laws, and dialing up their oppression, the time for debate is over. When the wealthy elite, led by Trump, Stephen Miller, Jeff Sessions, and the rest of the sociopaths are actively moving against us, they are not going to stop to be swayed by our fine ideas. It is time for direct confrontation. Here are a few talking points for radicals during the inevitable debate you will have with your friends and family on free speech. One, the rich white boys of the far right don't need their speech protected. Marginalized communities do. Rich boys like Richard Spencer have had their speech heard way too much. How much more do white men need to be protected? Overwhelmingly, they are the ones writing our news, controlling our government, hoarding all of our wealth, judging us in court proceedings, shaping our academic thought, determining who we should fight in wars, controlling our places of work, and more. They don't do these things because they're any better than anyone else at these things. They do them because they've created a self perpetuating system that keeps them in power and crushes the rest of us. People of color, women, indigenous people, the poor, and the all into and, and the all into the raw labor that keeps the world going. Hundreds of subtle and unsubtle cues fool many of us into thinking white men are better than the rest of us. It's time to turn our ear to the people whose voices have been suppressed. Instead of worrying so much about whether these spoiled men have had their special little podium from which they are allowed to organize for genocide, we should be focusing our concern on increasing the amount of airtime for voices that have historically been marginalized. Two, free speech has not led us to continuous progress for people of color. The proof is in the pudding, right? If free and open debate on important ideas worked to simply allow the best ideas to rise in popularity, then become law, we would have seen that working in our history, yes? Let's look at an example that all of our liberal friends will agree is important, ending the oppression of black people in the United States and moving in the direction of racial equality. More than 180,000 black people fought in the Civil War for their freedom from slavery. Afterwards, they were technically free. But a massive white backlash led to the formation of the KKK, the segregation of black people from all walks of white life, and white people torching homes and lynching black people. This, by the way, was a topic of investigative reporting by Ida B. Wells, legendary journalist from which Ida Vox draws its name. So that's the name of the website. Free speech was used not to allow erudite debate in the pearly halls of truth, but to further debase and incriminate black people in white minds. Minstrel songs implied that black people wanted to go back to slavery out of a sense of nostalgia and early silent films showed. Ugh. 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 Just gross. I can't even read it. Newspapers floated uh, racist attacks and false notions that were used to drive black people out of skilled and unskilled professions. This moment of racism following the civil war, a period known as reconstruction happened in a context of free speech And it had the impact of reconstructing racism after an initial glimmer of hope once slavery was made illegal. No, there was not a nice, happy, uninterrupted trend toward emancipation for black people. But free speech was alive and well. So shouldn't it have contributed to openness and celebration of diversity? Shouldn't it have led to our formation of a more just, equal, and better society? No, it didn't. The only thing that did change the situation for people of color in the United States was a civil rights movement when black people rose up and took their power back, mounting popular resistance. Only then did circumstances begin only then did circumstances begin to get a little better for people of color, a struggle that is obviously still ongoing, frustratingly slow in fits and starts, with questionable progress in this racist country. It is worth noting that right-wing factions are attempting to once again use their speech to degrade people of color and generate false notions about them. We must stop them from acting upon their toxic words. 3. The U.S. was founded on popular protest, not free speech. For anyone who believes that this country was founded upon the free exchange of ideas, I'd suggest a simple glance into the hotbed that, act, that, that actually did lead to the American Revolution, which pulled us out from under the rule of the British government, but not the bankers, merchants, and early capitalists. Earlier... Co- colonialists early colonists excuse me in boston rhode island new york philadelphia charleston and more did not merely trust to discussion among rich landed men in the british parliament or the circulation of early newspapers such as those of benjamin franklin or other venues of speech they were being oppressed and it was time to get physical Taking action, they ransacked the homes of government officials and merchants who they had grievances with, leaving a wake of broken furniture, shattered mirrors and windows, destroyed china and crystal, and burned effigies. They'd had practice in brutality, perhaps, from regular violent acts in stealing the land of indigenous people already here. Eventually, the Boston Tea Party set off a wave of people in early port cities who dumped tea into harbors and sunk the ships that carried it. Popular protest led to the American Revolution, which gave our country some small measure of freedom from the British. Yes, it was based upon ideas and rhetoric, but the time came for action. Four, not all ideas are created equal. Sorry, I know that is a hard thing to hear, but it is true for me, and it should be true for everyone with a heart. When someone tells me that they want to deny my rights, including, yes, my own right to free speech— I am not friendly to that idea. After all, the Nazis, the KKK, white supremacists, and their ilk want to deny people of color the right to exist. But many also want to deny women the right to engage in public life, vote, exercise reproductive rights, and live as we wish. So, as much as we all support freedom of speech and expression, they lose the logical flow of their argument when they try to rely on their own free speech in order to have a venue to deny me rights that are more fundamental than free speech. In order to have freedom of speech, you must first have the freedom and the right to exist. We all have the basic right to exist, but the Richard Spencers of the world seek to violate this fundamental of humanity. They seek genocide. Five, their speeches aren't just speeches. They are organizing opportunities. When someone tells me that they want to deny me my rights, when they say women and black people are inferior because I want to hold onto my white privilege and therefore I must ignore the overwhelming body of scientific evidence in order to cling to my belief and the past, Of course they have every right to say that. They've been saying that for years, and we've not cared. When I've heard that in the past, I've been happy to laugh it off, issue some invective if I like, and walk away because I have viewed that that person as harmless. What makes this political movement different, moment different, is that these people aren't just saying these things. They are expressing them through policies and the halls of government. The Trump administration and right-wing lawmakers are already making policy that makes life hard or impossible for Muslims, immigrants, women, transgender people, and the poor. Creepy lapdog Jeff Sessions has supported strict punishment for small crimes like drug possession, usually used to oppress communities of color. Trump won't let his Muslim travel ban go, and they've stepped up ice raids in immigrant communities. Progress on women's rights has come to a halt, and it's clear that the White House is now packed with misogynist snakes. Transgender people have lost their protections, leaving them subject to attack. And I will note that folks have already, even with those protections as helpful as they are, people were still getting attacked. Now Trump's tax cut plan would put even more money into the pockets of the rich while forcing some of us to pay more. This is not fiction. This is not hypothetical. Real people are subject to attack from our government. It is already happening. So some bigot, racist, or misogynist, just talking about an idea is one thing. It's quite another thing once this unsavory person demonstrates that they are part of a movement with a direct line to the White House where policy is being made that impacts me. Once that person drums up massive marches in the street with white guys in polo shirts marching around with tiki torches, helmets, and shields, tear gassing, and beating my friends... Once they begin pulling the last of their white privilege strings in order to get judges to issue, war- issue us warrants, to rule against us, to investigate us, once their movement is in the White House, that's when we fight them. They have a direct line to those who are making policy, and that policy looks increasingly hateful and fascist. Again, it is our duty to oppose them. Six, may I present the evidence, free speech and Nazi Germany. The rise of the Nazi party in Germany was accompanied by free speech. The Weimar Republic's constitution had specifically declared that no censorship be exercised. People talking to fascists did not have the effect of stopping the Nazi party. It is worth noting, however, that troops with guns were effective at stopping the party when they had their first attempt to grab power. The so-called Beer Hall Putsch of 1923, in which Hitler and the Nazis kidnapped local officials and shot up a beer hall. It took years for their horrific movement to to recover. Seven. Their movement is calling for literal genocide. Will you do nothing? When all other logic fails with your liberal friends, remind them that this is ultimately about preventing genocide. Genocide. White supremacists and Nazis like Richard Spencer have called for genocide from the start, without using the word, of course. I wrote, a, I wrote the legal definition of genocide in a piece earlier this year, and they have a link to that. Legal experts have defined what genocide actually means. The United Nations has defined genocide as acts perpetrated against a group such as a racial group. This was codified, codified in the Genocide Convention of 1948. These acts include killing members of the group, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group, forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. That treaty, by the way, also makes illegal direct and public incitement to commit genocide. Just saying. Spencer supports government programs of forced sterilization, or at least forced contraception, to prevent births among people of color. And they have a link to what he said to a salon reporter, uh, Lauren M. Fox, in 2013 on the topic of genetics. I'm not even going to read his quote. He's fucking disgusting. And we're running a little bit low on time, so you can read the rest of it. uh, The article And Finishing up, right-wing operatives have succeeded in dividing the political left over the idea of Nazis and white supremacists having free speech, but stopping genocide should be a no-brainer. If they win, they need to stop trying to dominate others and accept the idea that all people are created equal. If they win, there will be an untold suffering as people they deem inferior are killed. Right now, we still have a choice. The only logical course of action is to oppose them now before their movement begins the slaughter. If your liberal friends truly believe that we can save the world just by talking, maybe they'll want to have a nice long conversation with you about free speech. If you've given, if you've taken a glance at this article, perhaps you'll be equipped with some new material to convince them in the course of free and open debate. Good luck with that. So I.